Warning, what you're about to hear was intended to make you laugh a lot. If you listen to the show and feel inspired, then that's awesome. But if you're easily offended or just can't take a joke, you should turn this off right now. Otherwise, turn this shit up and hang on. Welcome to the Get Up. Welcome to another episode of The Get Up. I'm your host, JP. Today with me is J.D. Marshall. J.D., go ahead and introduce yourself. J.D. Marshall, the CEO and co-founder of a Mission to Love Childhood Cancer Charity, along with the founder of our uh, fundraising events, Comedy for Cancer. So what is, give me the backstory. So first of all, who are you? What do you, besides this, like, what led to starting all of this? Well, my daughter was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor in December 2014. And at the time, we had a hard time. We were told from the infancy that she was not going to survive. And they were treating her to try to prolong her life for a year or two. And we were trying to reach out to people that we could talk to on many different levels. How to handle this as a parent? What do we say to our daughter? And how do we talk to our son about this? And, you know, we wanted to... You know, we made a decision, my wife and I, and we didn't want uh, we didn't want her looking over her shoulder. So we made a decision not to tell her what the potential outcome would be, but we realized that she always knew because she looked it up. Um, and not having those people, we needed to come up with a way to, to, to try to do something. You know, I, I knew that eventually this was going to get to the point where I wasn't going to have my daughter anymore. And we discussed it, we talked about it, and one day I said, you know, we should build a website to raise awareness. And she threw out there, well, you build websites. And that's when we started a missionoflove.com together with simple goals. It was just to help talk to families uh, that needed support and to raise, uh, like, awareness for, like, you could donate toys to the hospital. Okay. When you're battling cancer, a lot of times kids are in there for five days at a time or longer. Right. It's just under treatment, you know, not just not because there's a, another issue going on. It's just treatment that they're there for. I have a friend of mine, James Craven. He has a charity, Alex Arcade, and they basically put video games in a hospital. For the kids? Yeah, for that purpose. Okay. And it was inspired by his son playing video games and sharing them with other kids in the room. Uh, you know, so it was a way they could deal with it. We eventually brought our daughters in there. And, uh, you know, we just, when we, we started a website, you know, that I mean, that was it. It was like that was the simplest goals. And then, you know, after I lost her, it just took a turn to where, you know, you start meeting families. And you understand that somebody has to be the caretaker. You know, mom has to possibly, we call them mom colleges. They have to walk away from their jobs they have to care for the child 24-7. And we started hearing uh, horror stories of, you know, people losing their house, right. losing their cars. And just decided at that point that we needed to come up with something, a fundraiser, anything, to take this to the next level. Right, so, to help out. Yeah, and, you know, and I had to think about it. And we spent 27 days in hospice with our daughter. We were told she had two to three hours to live when we took right. her in. 
and she made it 27 days. And during that time, I weighed many options. Was it going to be wrestling shows? Uh, that was about me because I started in wrestling when I was 14 years okay. old. And I had left it when she was born. And I thought, you know, maybe I could go back there. I went as far as buying the name Body Slam Cancer for a website. Right. Then I thought, well, our last conversation was her telling me that the best day of her life was meeting Gabrielle Glacius Fluffy. And that was literally eight days before she went into the coma that led to the end of her wow. life. And that was the last conversation that we had. And that got me thinking, too, that first, it's about her. It's always about her. It's never about me. This, this has never, ever been about me. When I do interviews, I do uh, new stuff, whatever I'm doing. I, it's always, I want to talk about who we work with. I want to talk about my daughter. And the reason I do this is to carry her legacy on. And when we thought about the fundraisers, it's like we have to do comedy. Right. And a lot of people along the way have, you know, when we did our first show, people were like, this, this is not going to last. You know, you're, you're a childhood cancer charity, but you're doing an adult-themed fundraiser. And, uh, you know, here we are entering our fourth season of doing okay. this and proving them wrong. And our last season, we did six shows. We sold out five of them. Uh, one was just never going to sell out. It was just in a big bar, and, you know, and right. it, it was pretty packed. And it, and technically, it wasn't even a regular show for us. This was a show where we were helping an adult because she was the aunt of one of our board members. Uh, also, with that, with the comedy and the tie-in and her saying that was the best day of her life, that gave me an idea to do something for children each month, and that is to present them with a gift, and we call it our Best Day Award. And okay. we pick a child, and what we do is we set them up to, it's a surprise. The parents will say they're going to the mall for something else. Like a few days ago, we met up at Somerset Mall, and we got a kid some AirPods. Okay. And, you know, again, it's a surprise. They don't think they're going to be there. My president of my charity, when I first met her, we surprised her son in Best Buy in Roseville and all of a sudden, the manager come up to me, heard about what we were doing, and Best Buy got in and started giving out video games, really? and DVDs to his friends, and that's that's excellent. Yeah, and I end up there's a you know the, the Brian that did this. We end up being friends over this, and any and I went back at Christmas time helping out Noah's family, and we took care of Christmas for him. And I just you know I had a small budget. We weren't really right. banking money. Every show that we were doing, we were turning the money over to a family. And uh, the first year that we had to file taxes, we ended up filing that we gave away 103%. So we obviously gave, spent more than we right. actually earned. And, uh, you know, I mean, and that's it. I mean, that's the level of our charity. And we didn't really have a big budget. And I said, I'm going to spend $250. He took the list out of my hand. It ended up being $500. And by the time he was done with discounts, he got it down to like 248 so from getting some big gifts for Noah and his brother, uh, we turned it into basically taking care of their whole Christmas list. Wow. wow. And it was, uh, yeah, and it's awesome along the way that people, you know, they want to help out. They want to be part of it. Right. And I tell all my board members, I'm like, the most rewarding thing you'll ever do is surprise a child with a gift. To see the look on their face at the most serious time of their life that you can walk up to them and, and just, they don't, they don't know you. And you just shock them with, you take them on a... With uh, an act of kindness. Yeah, just kinda... with, with an act of kindness. And uh, and there's a theme with these kids. These, these kids don't worry about, like, what they're going through. They worry about everybody else. 
And it is sometimes it, it turns very emotional because a kid will be so happy they're reduced to tears. And uh, every time I do it, I quietly uh, hand the parents a card that says this gift is in memory of my daughter. I never want kids to see that. Um, I, if I talk to parents and they want to know my story, I don't BS anyone. I tell them straight up, you know, I lost my daughter to cancer. Um, never say she lost her battle. You can't lose a battle if they don't arm you and give you the right weapons to win the fight. Her treatment protocols were 40 years old. Childhood cancer gets 4% funding. After advertising, there's only 2.9% left to go into research. That's why seven kids a day in the United States die from cancer. I don't want a child knowing about... The, 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 the rates and, and, yeah, and that, right? Yeah, and if a family asks me straight up about my daughter and my story, I, I tell them that, but I tell them that away from the child. It's, uh, I, I want our gifts to be uplifting. I want them you know, to raise their hopes and, and show them that people care. You know, I mean, eventually with the internet and everything, you know, they yeah, find they out. find the stuff yeah. out, like you said. So, start off with with your daughter Stephanie. Like, <clears throat> so what? She was fourteen. No, she was thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Uh, what happened? What were the what, what was the onset? Like, was do you have like a history of cancer in your family? Was no. this just something out of nowhere? Like, how did how did that whole thing progress? Like, how do you go from like oh. Was it like a, a, a sickness or, or something started happening that, that led you to, to finding this out? Or how did, this, how did it all start? Yeah, it started with uh, she was, she was not feeling nauseous and a little dizzy and stuff. And my wife took her into the doctor and they said, well, she basically has the flu. And a couple weeks later, uh, she was having issues with balance, still getting sick every day. Um, then they were saying flu, plus she's dehydrated medication upon the third time taking her to urgent care because it was getting really bad it was like repetitive she couldn't keep water down um urgent care went along with the yeah again it's the flu and my wife decided no i'm taking her into the hospital and they did a cat scan and they found that her spinal fluid was really really uh backed up and it was being backed up by the tumor or as they said at the time as a mass earlier that day is when I noticed and I knew that something was really wrong. She did try to eat lunch, and when she got up from the table, she had her right arm like holding it up like it was in a sling, but there's no sling there. And as she went to get out of the chair to turn around, she ended up like staggering sideways, and that arm never moved. Like it didn't move out to try to catch her or anything? No, No, it just stayed there. Like her left arm she could use. That arm seemed like it was paralyzed in place. And I I said, what's wrong with your right arm? And she stared at me for 10 seconds. And she said, what arm? She didn't even know that that was going on. So we think that this, there's no way to date a tumor. Right. I, I, you know, I I asked when uh, she passed away to have her brain and a tumor donated for research to see because this is basically uh, something they can't beat, and I figure if they could, you know, was learn there a something way they from could, it. Yeah, learn something from it, and again, unfortunately, do the research. It had to go all the way to Chicago, and it didn't make it in the time frame. That, really, that it had to like yeah. to keep it 
viable for i mean come on they've got like einstein's brain yeah preserved and you're telling me they can't get a yeah they have so many hours that they have to get it there to really? where it's any use to them and uh, you know that was kind of heartbreaking because for you sure do something like that and you, and you think that maybe you know even in her passing she could help someone right. else when uh they found uh the mass at the hospital we immediately were told to go to royal oak beaumont okay they, uh, they have a very good oncologist team over there um, that was the closest hospital to get her to. Yeah. She, she needed emergency surgery. They had to put an external shunt in to relieve the spinal really? fluid. Yeah. And I was told by the Was that to relieve it or was it, did they try to like bypass the mass or anything? Or is it, it was no, just to relieve the they, pressure? They actually, when they put the external shunt in, fluid shot across the operating room. That's how bad it was backed up. Wow. And that's what was causing the, the physical problems. Right. And as we found out, um, after the surgery and she came to that all of a sudden everything was fine like her arm was fine she wasn't feeling nauseous um she said she was having double vision which was the first that we heard out of one eye and she said at that point everything was fine and then she went in to have uh, a little bit later a few days later she had an internal shunt put in and uh, basically, this was just going to take the fluid and reroute it. Right, so that was bypassing the, yeah, the mass. that's when they did it as the bypass. Okay. And then they did the, um, they you know, they had to check the tumor itself to see what it was. And they did, and uh, we were told on, it was 32 years from when I found my father dead. We were basically told that my daughter wasn't going to survive, that they had the results and um, they were still going to go through with 40-some radiation treatments, uh, oral chemo, and, uh, you know, and again, I, I, you know, I'm going to beat this like a dead horse. It's because of the lack of research and the lack of funding. When my daughter passed, she had a full script of chemo pills left. I called the oncologist, I should say my wife talked to her and said, what should we do with these? She asked if she could have them because there's kids out there that can't afford chemo. And that just, to me, is it's unacceptable and uh you know when we you know once we heard the i mean just i go back to that day just being paralyzed myself when i heard the news right it's like and then coming home and, and going down in the basement and and just hiding and, and crying about it yeah. and you know and just like what am i going to tell her what am i going to say you know and i that's when we decided that we weren't she, she was a child that just loved life. She loved everybody. She, if she was here right now doing this podcast, she would instantly be your friend. I mean, that's the kind of person she was. And to her, there wasn't a bad person. There was a person that needed to change. Like, she didn't hate anybody. I mean, her, my, my son would drive her crazy and push <laughs> her buttons, and she would just slam the door like Al Bundy used to <laughs> of her bedroom and just, like, leave me alone. And, and that was it. Totally different than my kids. My, yeah. daughter, my daughter tells my, her brother she hates him all the time. <laughs> all the time. Oh, man. But that's, so that's, 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 I mean, that's like, like every parent's fear, right? Something yeah. like that is going to happen. And what what was that like for for you and your wife, for your whole family going through that? I mean, was it like the thing that you don't talk about, or like how did you guys cope with that going through it? And then afterwards, like we, uh, I mean, during during the battle, you know, we we went through it with the mindset that she has one in a million chance, which is still a chance. Which is what I said. Well, one thing about one in a million is you only need one, and. Uh, 
we just, you know, we we decided we were going to make every day special for her. We were going to do anything we could to make things, you know, really, you know, like every day was going to matter, you know. And, and, the, and the funny thing is you look back now and you think about, you know, and every parent will do this uh, if they come to our road. You wasted days. There was times oh, yeah. you could have did something and you may have said maybe later. And, you know, I look back to our last conversation, her telling me she had a best day of her life, that she could actually say that. She could name it. Would give me a little bit of relief. I, I knew where we were headed. Earlier that morning, she fell trying to use a, a porta potty next to the bed, and uh, she said she couldn't feel her legs. And I, I knew at that point we were, this was it. We were heading towards uh, it was going to be any time. And, and that was, like you said, how do you deal with it? Right. We put her in our bedroom. My daughter and I watched TV together every night. Uh, we hung out together. I didn't have a man cave. I had a daddy-daughter cave. I built her a desk in her room. I got her a laptop. And so she didn't need to come downstairs and have to right. use my have computer and stuff. And so she could have privacy because I know she liked to watch music videos and comedy videos. And uh, I built that for her. And her first words were, does that mean I can't come downstairs? And wow. I said, Almost like she felt like she was being. Kind yeah. Of... And I was like, wow, you're going to make me cry for the second time today. She's like, when did you cry earlier? I said, well, I had tears built up when I said we put this all together. And I thought you weren't going to come downstairs anymore. Now, do you do you find in in your experiences now, having dealt with many families that go through this, is that something that you see? Is that it becomes like the the I don't want to say dirty little secret, but like kind of because they it's hard for the family to deal with it that they do kind of carp, carp, compartmentalize the person to their room or something. Do you do you feel like that happens? No, in um, your experiences, no. It, it, the thing is, is like we. The reason we put her in our room was that she was limited in getting around. Right. Um, she had, and this was, you know, now I think about it, it was actually a longer stretch than when she had the, because when she had the external shunt, she was actually sent home with that. And she, really? at that point, she couldn't, she was having trouble walking. So w when she was sent home with an external shunt like that, like, was it something that you had to constantly clean? Like, no. the fluid would come out or how? No, it, it, and the and the thing was, um, when they they did the when they did the internal, um, she that actually worked better because she was able to get up and walk. We were told like when she had the internal shunt done, to, like she was going to have to go to physical therapy to learn to walk. Again. Right, and you think about that. You're a father. You're looking at your 13 year old daughter, and they're trying to get you to help with it, and you're like stunned. You're yeah, shocked that I you can want. imagine. And I got to turn to the therapist and say, "No offense, but I'm watching my 13 year old daughter learn how to walk again. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to take this in and right. trying to do what I can. And and a day after she came home from, they told us like it's probably going to be two weeks of therapy before she'll walk. And I went to get her lunch, and I turned around the day after she comes home. She's standing right behind me. And I'm like, how'd you get here? And she's like, I walked, you dummy. And I'm like, <laughs> now, now, again, like I said, she didn't hate anybody, right. but she had a free pass. Like, if you can yeah. make me laugh, and, and, and this is anybody. I, I don't even have to know you. If you can burn me and make me laugh, we're probably <laughs> going to be friends. 
And that's what's awesome about, you know, having friends that are comedians. I actually went into the hospital uh, last year, and it was for hip pain. It was an ER, you know. And uh, right. everybody, your wife would be next to the bed, like on Facebook, you know, yeah. checking in to Beaumont, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I have to post on there. It's, you know, it's not a big deal. It's hip pain. Yeah. Uh, you know, I should be out of here you soon. You know you're getting old when you get hip pain? Yeah, exactly. That, that's when you know you have arrived at being old. And, and the thing that's awesome about doing the comedy shows is having friends that are comedians. Because, oh, you know, yeah. my, my whole timeline's blown up with, you're in my thoughts and prayers. You're in my thoughts and prayers. And then it gets to one of the comedians. And uh, it's just something. Paolo Buziani. And it's uh, it's basically a YouTube video of Arnold Schwarzenegger going, it's a flesh wound. Walk it off, you yeah. pussy. And, uh, it's not a tumor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stop whining. <laughs> and, and I started getting messages from people like, how dare he? And I'm like, how dare he? We're all laughing in the ER right now. Right. Even the doctor's getting a kick out of yeah. it. Like I'm not gonna stop playing this. It's like it's that's why it's so fun to have friends like that and, and to do stuff like this. But yeah, we, we you know, every family uh, deals with their situation differently. From what I've noticed, um, there's a there's a one pattern I don't like, and and I hope this you know I, I don't want any child to have cancer. You know, any interview I do, they're like, when are you going to stop doing this? I'm like, when they don't need us anymore, and you know, and I hope that day truly comes. I don't want any more people joining our club, and that club is being the angel of a parent. Uh, but there's a thing that I've seen, and if if you're in this situation, and and I hope anybody that's listening, if they're a father, get involved, be a part of it. You know, putting it all on the mom. Do you? So that's a pattern that you do see. It's it's a terrible pattern. It's it's a pattern that, um, you know, at, at end of life becomes end of marriage. What do you What do you think leads to that? I think it's the the way. I think a lot of it's the upbringing. It's the uh, you know the the hard ass dad that's like you don't cry you're a man you know you got to hold your emotions in well what's the easiest way to not get emotional is to check out right you check out and you you put your head in the sand and you go to work granted yes you have to keep a roof over your family's head you have to keep food on the table but it gives you that chance to to not have to acknowledge it right right to be it, away it, from it out of sight yeah, out of mind yeah out of sight out of mind and i see that a lot and a lot of times i'm asked to talk to the father you know on my role I, right I, I can't you know and and that's kind of hard to do because everybody's relationship is different i i was in hospice having guilt because my daughter spent most of her life with me and she hung out with me i mean to the point like i, I say it all the time if you like you got the website open. You scroll down. You see a picture of Anthony Mulcahy uh, from Travel Channel's Hotel Impossible. He did nine seasons. She watched that show with me. I reached out to him. He's right there. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, yeah. I reached, yes, I've seen him. I reached out to him uh, via text message, and he instantly shot her a selfie while he was on location. Really? Me. Yeah. So. How, how does that go? I mean, not to, to get off topic, but that you bring up an interesting point. So, like, reaching out to a celebrity and stuff, oftentimes it can be difficult, right? Trying to, to get a hold. Sometimes you got to go through their PR teams and stuff like that. Yeah, so, you, you know, sometimes you, you get blessed that, like, in Anthony's case, he has an open DM on Twitter. And you tell him the story and, you know, it's, you know, he's doing it one for the father. And the second part is this is a, you know, even a girl's a fan of his show. Right. 
And, you know, followed by that was a few days later was a, a picture autographed from him and a letter that he sat down and really? wrote. And, yeah, and I, I And was, that's that's cool because that's, like, above and beyond. You know, it could have stopped just at that picture, right? He could, yeah, he could have sent a, a text message. He could have right. sent, you know, a DM. He could have just sent anything and said, oh, you know, okay, um, you know, I, I did my part. And instead he sent this letter, and that letter was part of the inspiration for her. She's like, Anthony helps people. He just doesn't help hotels. And the tagline of our site, Passion Changes Everything, was at the end of the letter that he wrote her. Oh, And, I mean, instantly we framed that. Um, Gabrielle Glacius, it was a few days, it was Black Friday, I believe, uh, uh, when she was diagnosed, we reached out to their team at the shop and said, listen, we're buying stuff. We're not asking for nothing. Right. We're not asking something for nothing. We, I bought this DVD. I bought you know, I forgot everything that I bought, but it was like a package deal that they had on the site. I said, is there any way that, you know, Fluffy can sign it? And they said, well, Fluffy's on tour. He'll be in uh, in a few days. We can have him sign it. Do know that that's going to, you know, forget the shipping time when you check out. We're now going to hold your order and have Gabriel right. sign it. And uh, so... We ended up getting it like the following week. Not only did he come in and sign it, he insisted it be overnighted. And again, another picture, you know, autograph, right. personalized items. And the the wall that she could see in front of her was starting to become this, uh, you know, cake boss, Buddy Velastro. You know, these pictures and autographs and everything. And uh, the relationship with Fluffy never ended because we took her to the Fox Theater. We, we'd already bought the tickets. We couldn't take her to VIP because she was in a wheelchair at this point. And we reached out to Fluffy's team. We, we tried to Fox Theater. Didn't work. Didn't work. We tried agents. Didn't work. So went back to the old way. And between my wife and I, we finally came up with a direct number for his personal manager. Um, asked about, you know, look. Whatever it costs, we'll pay. We already bought tickets for their show. Again, we're not asking for right. anything. And, uh, you know, and, and they said, okay. So they called us back and they said, we're going to, you know, set you up. You'll just go to Will Call and there'll be three VIP passes and you come in. Well, I know how VIPs work and meet and greets work from working in wrestling. It's like, you know, take a picture, pat you on the back, right. shake your hand, next. next. And uh, so we're waiting in a room and we could hear everybody in the VIP room. And there's a lot of people in that room. And I'm like, well, hopefully we can go last because you see in the picture on the front page of the website, he's holding up a shirt that my daughter wanted him to have. Like his, her point was we made these shirts look like jerseys so, you know, we could say you're part of our team. That was right. another saying she liked from Nicole Curtis, teamwork makes the, the dream, dream work. work. And we're, I'm sitting there talking to a security guard and all of a sudden he comes flying through the door. And he's like, hey, I'm Gabriel. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. And, <laughs> I'm at your show. I know, I know yeah, who you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're easy to pick up, pick out out of the line. Yeah, right. And, and that's not even a fluffy <laughs> joke. Uh, like I could talk. But uh, we're both fans of cake. So he, he basically went up to my daughter and she hands the shirt to him. And it's like, oh, you got me a gift. I didn't bring you anything. Here's my Diet Coke. <laughs> and then he sees her phone and he's like so you want to take a selfie and then so he takes the phone he starts taking selfies with her ah oh, this is hard then he kneels down next to her wheelchair and for like the next 15 minutes does a performance in her ear 
than only she could hear. You go there expecting a photo, right? a pat on the back, a shake of the hand, and then see someone like that who everyone around the world knows. And he's got a sellout crowd. He's got hundreds of people waiting for him in the next room. And come to find out, he put us on his guest list as though he could spend that time. And just watching her laugh and giggle and have the time of her life and then going over and talking to him afterwards and seeing what, you know, a real, true, caring human being that he was. Gabriel is. He, you know, I told him about it. I said, you know, when my daughter was in radiation, they said that she was one of the only kids that giggled the whole time she was inside getting the radiation done. She's having this plastic mask strapped to her face, you know, which was painful, which right. left, left marks. But she would just laugh and laugh and laugh. And, and he's like, uh, well, you know, what was so funny to her? And I said, she just listened to your CD. I said, except for the last treatment, because then it stopped working. And he's like, oh, does she need a new CD? And I'm like, no, their player's got bro. And then, <laughs> so at least we could. And I was trying at this point, I, you could see him getting emotional. And I'm right. like, oh, my God, I'm going to make Fluffy cry before a show. And then we're all <laughs> crying him back. He's like, clean our faces up. We got to take some pictures, you know. Yeah. So we took a bunch of pictures. And then again, it's on the front page of the website's yeah. one of them. And uh, the manager, one of the managers or one of his people came out at intermission and told us, hey, please, uh, they, I told my wife, I don't know where to go to in the Fox, but so that we have something for you. And every picture they took, they blew up, and Fluffy took the time to autograph. Really? Plus gave her, um, gave her a bunch of stuff, poster, uh, fluffy action figure, which is basically him with a cake and a fork and a knife, and uh, <laughs> okay. But it was uh, it was awesome, and it's it's you know. And no wonder that was uh, her best day. I yeah, mean, that's that's, a, was... that's that's an above and beyond thing, like you said, from what you were expecting. Yeah. Uh, to what actually happened? That's yeah, because when uh, she told me that, well, the song "Best Day of My Life" was playing, and uh, when that happened. Uh, she pointed to the TV and she just had a way of signaling me to say, like, ask her something, you know? So I asked her and she told me and then she said, well, what's your best day? And I said, well, meeting you. I said, becoming yeah. a father, you know, you're my first child and uh, I love you. So and your was, son is young, was younger than her. Yeah. He, uh, he, he had a real tough time. He didn't want to be at the hospital when, uh, you know, we decided to do hospital, the hospice in the hospital. How much younger was he than uh, her? Three years. Three years. And, uh, he, he basically came out and said, I don't want to see my sister die. And that wasn't the first time. The first time was to her. And he went into the room and basically walked up crying, saying, I don't want you to die. And she just um, grabbed him and held him and said that, you know, it's going to be okay. And which, in a way, I thought was strange that, like, I knew she knew. But she just... Right. Again, she's being protective of him. And, I mean, that's to, to see these kids, they're, they're strongest when they're battling this because they care more about you, you know. They're like, how are you going to feel about this? You know, they don't, a lot of these kids, when it comes close to their time, if they can talk, they almost sound like they're happy that it's coming to an end. Like the battling, the struggling, the hair right. falling well, out. Well, what everyone's going through, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like, it's not about, you know, what they didn't get it's about what they're gonna miss and it's you and they're protecting you right. from it noah he knew all along that you know it wasn't gonna end positive for him 
when he was around me, he never talked that way. He he talked about doing stuff when he was an adult. And, right. you know, it, it's amazing. He, he got to do a lot of things, just reaching out to the iHeart family and uh, Jay Towers. They, they, oh, they, he went everywhere. He got to hang out with Jared Leto for lunch at his house. I mean, wow. And that's pretty, yeah. And Jared Leto reached out to him to invite him because he already knew he was going to be in California for something else. And at the same time, it's, it's crazy how these kids are because he would do something big, be on stage in front of 10, 15,000 people, and then message me, like, can I stay at your house tonight? And now, to clarify, Noah was another child. With yeah. Cancer. No, it was, yeah, my president's son. Uh, Noah, and unfortunately we lost him on July 9th, the day after my daughter would have been 18 years old. And uh, Noah, uh, when I like when I met them, I just felt a connection. And Noah became friends with my son, and they'd play video games together, and he'd stay the night with them. And he was always asking to stay over. Like, and I'm like, dude, you're down at a concert. You're like on stage in front of thousands of people, and you want to stay here? I'm like, I don't even want to stay here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's amazing how the, how these kids are, and it, it, you know, it's amazing the celebrities that will you know they'll reach out and they'll do something like Nicole Curtis with uh, Tessa, her father works with her on a tv show he's very talented man bobby uh prothero and but for nicole to be a big part of tessa's life is amazing you know because these these kids when they see people that care that's pretty big to them if it's just me walking into the room but then all of a sudden you're facetiming with a celebrity because okay i'm not in town but i know you're a fan so let me do this this is better than a text or a picture or a phone call I'll, I'll do a video chat with you and it just makes a kid's day. It's it, you take this from Gabriel. We can go to the, the biggest extreme fluffy all the way to Barry Manilow. I made a joke and during the Super Bowl. I had a party and a bunch of friends over and they played the commercial Barry Manilow one last time. And it's like, yeah, right. He's had more retirements than Kiss, probably, and farewell <laughs> tours. Matter of fact, that he went back and made a DVD that's called First and Farewell. You know, it's like, yeah, this was my first farewell tour. Right. And then, and then which is ironic, because at the end of this One Last Time tour in his hometown, on his birthday, three-quarters of the way through the concert, he actually stopped singing and goes, I can't do this. I can't ever see a day where they're not playing behind me and I'm performing in front of you. I'm not going to travel as much, but <laughs> I'm not going to do this. I'm like, all right, you know what? Bless your heart, bro, because you're the first guy on a farewell tour that's done like five of them that actually stopped the concert to say like, yeah, I'm full of shit. I'm going to do this. <laughs> but we, So I said that and my daughter heard it. So I took her and her friend Brody uh, to, to a movie. And uh, unbeknownst to me, they decided to start playing commercials. And there it comes again. And she gives me that look like, I want to go, but I don't want to ask you. <laughs> and I said, okay, but here's the deal. If they don't, because she was in a wheelchair again at that time, I said, if they don't have any handicapped seating, we're going to Cincinnati and we're going to go see Elton John. And uh, <laughs> she just liked Elton John because I was, I was watching it. And right. again, she's hanging out downstairs. So we end up getting the tickets. We go to Barry Manilow. And, uh, what, a, what an odd concert for a kid to want to go see. She she had I I think 
I think if I don't know if she wanted or aspired to be a DJ or do anything in that line of work, but her range of music was amazing. Was like it? one day you walk in a room, she's listening to Eminem. The next day she's listening to Manilow. She's listening to Billy Joe. Her first concert at seven years old, she's like, Dad, I want to go to a concert. And I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be Bieber. I know it. It's going to be Bieber. <laughs> Uh, even at this point, I'm like, please be the Wiggles, be the Wiggles. And uh, she's like, I want to see that guy that you watch on DVD. And that was your first concert. And I'm like, you want to go see Neil Diamond? And she's like, yeah. Wow. So at seven years old, took her to see Neil Diamond. And uh, we got to, we, we, went, we actually went to Cleveland for my son's first concert because he's crazy. And Neil was going to be performing at DTE, and we're like, we don't think he should be outside. We need our son in a seat inside a building. And so it was his first concert as well. And uh, But the Manilow thing, uh, she started, like, YouTubing. I guess after I said it, she started YouTubing, watching videos. And she there were certain songs that she liked. And I, I was like any performer. I mean, there's certain songs you like. Billy Joel will even tell you. Like, he'll say the album in a concert and people will clap. And he's like, you want a copy of that? I don't even have a copy of that. They all can't be hits. And uh, <laughs> he has this song that's it's called I Am Your Child. Manilow does. And I look down and I see this 70, 80-year-old woman with her daughter. And during the songs, as soon as the song starts, the daughter grabs her mom. My daughter grabbed me around the neck and pulled me in for a hug and took a selfie. And, and I got that picture locked in my phone somewhere, and it's uploaded online so I don't use it. So we even got the Manilow glow sticks. And uh, if, if, you, if you don't know, if you go to Barry Manilow, you get free glow sticks, and you're supposed to wave them during certain songs. Whatever. But uh, <laughs> I wanted to throw them, but as soon as I decided, like her friend, Bro, her best friend Brody went with us. And I'm like, you know, I'm coaching him up. I'm like, as soon I go, I already know how the concert ends. He's, he does a reprise of It's a Miracle. He goes, three, two, one, then confetti explodes, right? I go, that's when you want to throw the glow stick. So, and, and there's a reason I tell this because this, this comes back to something. So, we, so at that point, I reached out to Barry Manilow's people. And Barry Manilow has a charity called the Manilow Music Project. Real cool charity. They put music back in schools that can't afford it. They donate instruments. They, they do $100,000 grants. Um, and if you go on my daughter's page, and if you're on a, lap, a laptop, desktop, whatever, I, for whatever, can't get to work on a mobile device, the song I Am Your Child will automatically play. And we got permission from Manilow's people. And on that same page, we cross-promote because we, we work with a lot of charities. Um, it was... A few months after my daughter passed, Brody would still come over and hang out and watch wrestling pay-per-views and hang out with my son and stuff. And we were sitting there talking, and he's like, hey, you know, Manilow's last show is in Brooklyn, New York, and it's on his birthday. It's his hometown, and that's the last show forever. And I'm like, I, I don't think it's going to be. The last show forever. Yeah. And he goes, and I go, well, okay. And he goes, well, look at tickets. They're like only 19 bucks. And I'm like, wow, dude can't even sell out in his hometown. That's terrible. And so i like, okay. And uh, I said, but, you know, you drive to New York, you're going to have to stay overnight. Right. And it's pretty expensive. And he goes, well, don't you know that hotel dude? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. So I get my phone. I start texting Anthony. I said, hey, I'm thinking of coming to New York on this date. And it was like June. And uh, I said, uh, I need help getting a hotel. I'm bringing this uh, 14-year-old boy. Uh, he's not my son, but we need a room. And then I looked at it, and I'm like, man, I better not hit send on that. 
I'm going to have that dude from NBC walking in to catch a predator. <laughs> like that did not sound right. And I'm like, no, I go, let's, for, let's not. I go, but he's going to be in Grand Rapids. I said, let's, you know, your mom really wanted to go. And I said, let's do this as a tribute to Stephanie. We'll go, we'll go to Grand Rapids and, you know, we'll go out to dinner. We'll have a good time. We'll take your mom. So my wife and I, and, and again, my son, he, he didn't want to go. Now he, <laughs> now he wants to go, which is ironic because Barry's like only in Vegas now, residency. So we went to Grand Rapids and uh, kind of as a, a tribute and, and to remember Stephanie. And uh, we walk in and for some reason I got like two glow sticks. I, I don't know if they felt spe- like I was special or something, but they gave me two. And uh, so it, it happens again. Brody gives me that look and it's like we get down to he's doing It's a Miracle. And then he turns to his mom and he's like, Ma, do you mind if I throw this? And his mom's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, okay. And then so Manilow gets to three, and his mom's like, Brody, don't do it. And you're two, one, and I'm like, throw it, you coward. And he fires it, and I feel terrible because i actually seen who it hit. It was an older oh, lady. Oh, no. Yeah. So we walk out of the Van Andel Arena, and there's a ton of cop cars out in front. When we first get there, there's one officer, like, watching people cross the street, making sure they don't get right. run over. But when you leave, there's, like, six. And uh, so Brody turns to me, and he's like, what are all these officers doing here? And I go, well, they can check to see if you have your glow stick. Because if you don't, you probably <laughs> know you threw, threw it. it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I got a second one, man. You can have it for 20 bucks. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's my uh, fun with Manilow story. That's a... So what? So with your daughter, the what was the actual, like, what led to the, the, the so the tumor, was it growing? Like, what part of her, what was it affecting that it actually caused her to pass? Well, that's what happened. Actually, they they had done an MRI on Thursday of before the Sunday that she goes into the coma that leads to end of life, and on that Sunday, in the MRI, they they had made a decision. They were going to do another MRI with contrast to see if there was dead cancer, you know, non-cancerous okay. tissue they could actually cut away that they could chip away. The thought pro what made it inoperable was if you can't take it all, you take none. Okay, but if you get to a point that the medication, the radiation has killed some of the tumor, you shave it down. Now, there are people that and and, and I apologize for this and it's on her page. It's it's something I it's hard for me to say the exact brain tumor it is because I really don't care to get to know it. I just know right. that it took my daughter's life and that it has a very low survival rate. I mean, there's there's worse ones. I mean, there's yeah. ones where they know they're like there's there's extending life for a year or two. It's not going to happen. Right. It's months and it's sad. And and I see it all the time where these kids, they don't get any time at all and they totally change. Um, that's the purpose of the picture on the website. You see my daughter pre-diagnosis. And you see her eight days before she goes into 27 days of hospice. That's what treatment for cancer does to you. The, it loses your hair. When her hair started growing back, she has blonde hair. Her hair was growing back, growing back black and gray. Really? And it was, yeah, it was freaking us out. And, you know, luckily she couldn't see it because it was starting on, on the back. Right. And, um, you know, it, it just, it's, it's, it's with the tumor. You know, like I said, what they, they thought they when they did the MRI, they seen a spot they could cut down. And they said, well, we can't do the contrast. We can't do all this stuff because everything else is going on. It's going to affect their kidneys. We have to wait till Monday. They didn't come out and say there was growth. I believe there was, and I believe that they knew they had to do something quick. 
Sunday when this all went down, she basically was complaining of head pain. Like, again, I said she was, she was basically paralyzed. She couldn't use her legs when she fell. Like, we had to lift her up. And then she got to the point that she kept saying her head hurt worse. It hurt worse. She was taking Vicodin. Uh, we had cold packs on her forehead trying to help do anything we could. Um, and it, when I get to the end of this, it's amazing she wasn't screaming. But, you know, we, talk, we talked to her oncologist, like, get her to the hospital. And we got her there, and we get her up to the pediatric unit. They rush her right down to a CAT scan. It's on the actual CAT stand scan table where she has a massive seizure and and she's out and at this point she was really non-responsive and unable to even help us lift her to get her into a wheelchair to get her into the hospital we were told to go upstairs and within 10 minutes her oncologist called and and uh, I put it on speakerphone and they you know they told us to go into another room to walk away from her and my son and uh, everybody else that had come down to the hospital at that point and we went into another room, and the oncologist called, and she says, interns are on their way up. I don't want you to hear it from them. We're here. This is it. Um, she's got two to three hours. And uh, like I said before, that turned into 27 days in hospice. Man, that's got to be so rough. Like To hear those words that, yeah. you, you, you know, I mean, I don't think that that oncologist meant to be like she was because she you know she knows she's in the business she's going to lose more than she wins right and she gets close to these kids and the families and and the fact you know like in our case where our daughter you know decides hey i want to start a charity and help people knowing that she was never going to see this through and, and that's what i believe that she knew all along because there's a certain way she talked about stuff she never talked about future you right know, it was day to day and uh they you know they told us that and then you're sitting in hospice and, you know, three hours go by and you're looking at her, you know, you're looking at the, the screens and stuff and you're like, her vitals are perfect. I mean, it's like a perfectly healthy person. You know, what's going on here? Like what, you know, we're right. waiting for like all of a sudden it's going to, heart rate's going to crash and this is not happening. Then the next morning it's like, well, it could be any time now. And then the next day it's like, it could be tomorrow. And after about two weeks of this, I was getting really irritated because now I'm starting to think like, wait a well, minute. Because every day is like the worst day, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it just, just keeps going on and on and on. And you start second guessing the oncologist and the CAT scan and everything. And so I finally said, you know, I want to see the CAT scan. I go, if, if you guys are telling me everything you needed to see was on that, then I'd like to see it myself. And they said, all right. So they took me out in the hall. They, put, they brought it up on a computer and... Uh, I've seen one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. Her tumor got so big, it pushed one half of her brain into the other and basically flattened the side of her brain. Really? You know how you see a brain, you see all the lines. And so lines. that's what it was. It was getting so big that it was, it got, it was causing it, pressure and just... It got so big wow. that it basically, like, it, it was at that point the realization hit that if her eyes open... It was a container. It wasn't going to be her. Right. She wasn't going to talk. She wasn't going to move. Um, it was at that point that I pretty much had to come to grips with there was no 11th hour miracle. And, and, and I forgot because I overlooked that. The second day we did talk to one of the surgeons. And he, and again, this is what irritates me. And, man, every September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, okay? And the problem that I have is a lot of people will jump on board if they know me 
or if they know a family that's dealt with this. And for the rah, 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 and they'll turn their Facebook profile pictures gold in September. Right. And then they'll, they'll, they'll quiet for another 11 months until September rolls around again. And I'm like, you need to make September 365. Right. If the suit dummies in Washington only hear you bitching for 30 days and making noise, they can tune you out because first kids don't vote. Okay, and the only cancer they care about is the one they're going to get at their age. And you have to really get on them to do this. And this needs to be a full time job. And it's 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 the thing that we've talked about. And I'm like, I'm having a party today and I'm having my some of my board members there. And we are going to talk about this, that we want to shift our focus to raising awareness for the lack of research and actually putting forth a research grant. And that's a grant that we're going to honor Noah with. And we need to be on the side of finding cures instead of putting Band-Aids on bullet holes. Right. I'm, I'm looking at a surgeon. The second day in hospice, a surgeon comes and tells me, I just came back from a conference. I had an 11th hour surgery for your daughter that could have saved her life. Now, people will hear that and they're like, why the hell would he tell you this in hospice? Well, he knew how I felt about the lack of research. Right. And that he went to that conference on his own dime. And if it had been a little bit sooner, that conference would have happened months sooner. I a good chance my daughter's sitting here doing a podcast with us. And you got to live with that the rest of your life, that you knew there was an option out there, but because of lack of funding and they have to go out and they have to make their own groups to do this, it, it, it just astonishes me that there's not a bigger you know, outcry of this. Right. President George Bush Sr. lost a child to childhood cancer ironically everybody i know that's dealt with childhood cancer personally had no idea he had a chance to have a voice and he didn't you know and that's that's what i always say i i say to parents all the time when they say look i want to be part of what you do i want to i want to join you guys i want to come with you and i said well first off you need to take time for yourself you just went through the most horrific part of your life and uh I'm going to tell you after four, over four years of this, it doesn't change. You have a, I turned 50 on Monday. I didn't care. I really didn't care. I mean, I'm having a party today and what I tell people to bring, bring toys for kids. You know, I don't, I don't make anything about me since I lost my daughter. I lost a big part of my heart. Father's day. It's, you know, you you always remember, you know, I'm holding Noah's hand at eight o'clock in hospice on the day my daughter should have been 18 years old and selfishly praying that not now, Noah, not today. You know, I can't right. have two incidents in one day, you know, cause I'll never forget the days. I don't forget the day she passed away. I remember how she looked as it's as clear as day. It's, it's something that anything will trigger it. A song, a comedian. It's, um, we went and seen Brad Williams Sunday and uh fantastic comedian please you know i know a lot of people see him and they think that's what his show is because you know how how can i put it nice how he's built right and uh brad is a tremendous guy we hope to work with in the future uh and just him talking about his father battling cancer and his anger towards cancer and it's it's a thing that brings people together but the the problem that we have is this we do a childhood cancer rally who shows up childhood cancer families or friends of childhood cancer families i can't get the person that's never been impacted at this to want to raise the awareness and if 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 you're just you know a small group you're not going to get change 
you're not. You know, the president has the power to put more money towards research. Um, I'm not knocking a hospital. I'm not going to get you in, uh, you know, on your podcast. You know, <laughs> I remember CM Punk getting sued on Colt Cabana's podcast and Colt getting sued too because it was his podcast. But, you know, there's a lot of times that there's money that goes to research to some facilities. And again, they're using it for advertising. They're right. putting the kids in the, they're doing commercials with these kids that have no hair to touch your heart, to get you to send money. But what they don't tell you is you could send them $100,000. Them kids are getting 4% of that. And part of it's going to go towards those commercials right. you're watching. They, you know, I think if that was made more clear, it would change people's outlook on this. And we tried to do something a couple years ago, and I don't understand this. As, as being the owner of a charity, co-founder of it, where the attitude is like, you're, you're rivals. We're Michigan and Ohio State. Why? Why should it be one versus all when we can right. be all versus one? We tried to do a website, September365.com. We reached out to every you know, childhood cancer charity we could think of. We're like, hey, let's come together. Let's make some noise right. all year long. Let's do rallies all year long. Let's do this. And at the end of the day, you got two charities responding. That are, that are on board. Yeah. And then one comes out and basically tells you to your face that, hey, you know, we've worked hard enough to be this big, you know, that we, we now have paid positions on our board. And I'm like, so that's why you do it? For a paycheck? Because that's not why we do it. Right. You know, they went even as far as they, and, and again, I don't care. You know, at the end of the day, if you want, if I come up with an idea, so when we did these comedy shows and we started it, so they basically stole it and then barely changed the name and did one event and it bombed. And uh, I'm not happy that it bombed. I should be because, you know, you took something of mine and you did it. And uh, somebody talked to you in confidence and basically told you how it was structured and you took the ball and ran with it. You could have came to me. You could have emailed me. You could have sent me a Facebook message. I would have told you how to do it. I would have helped you do it because you're doing it for the right reasons. But right. The, these attitudes about, you know, like it's, it's, it's a business to some people. It's not to us. It's, it never is and it never will be. So what was that, what was that like? Uh, I, I looked at starting a nonprofit a long time ago. So I know there's lots of stuff that you have to go through to to get yeah. the actual what is it 103 or 403c is it 103 uh 501c3 three. Three, right the uh to get that designation and stuff and including having a board and and yeah. all that what was it like setting all that up and 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 moving forward with that i mean was that something that you had gotten the ball rolling on while your daughter was alive or was that no, something that happened afterwards no it was after she passed how soon after it was actually i'll say Probably about a year. Okay. Because I know, um, like you said, you know, some parents are like right afterwards, oh, I want to get on board. And to me, that would seem like that's just uh, keeping them busy, like trying to oh, I, to cope with I'll, what they just went I'll through. I'll be the first to admit I, I made a tremendous mistake. I gave my first gift out two weeks after my daughter passed, and I hit the ground running, and it was my goal to start a charity. And I knew that I needed to raise money to do this. It, it, it uh, Just so people know out there, if they want to start a charity – you pay $850 for the right to really not keep any money. I mean, that's basically right. what you pay to the IRS. And yeah. the quickest thing you will do in starting a 501c3 is watch your check get cashed. 
and then watch your paperwork get held up for 90 days and then get sent back to you and say you need to fix this so i just came up with t-shirt ideas and sold t-shirts on our website and to come up with the money to kickstart comedy for cancer and to also get us as a, a registered charity um the problem is i never took time for myself i went and seen a therapist for uh uh, I deal with anxiety and uh, strangely enough, not performance. I can sit here and talk to you and do a podcast. I can do a TV interview. I can walk out in front of 500 people and tell some jokes. But when I'm by myself and all these thoughts coming through to my head, um, you know, the anxieties over when, when you're not doing anything. Yeah. yeah. And, but all the time with the therapist in the last six months has been talking about my daughter. And even she said, you were running from it. Right. You were running from the fact that your daughter's not around anymore. And every time you do a gift, that's like having part of your daughter back. And you're basically trying to cover this. And right. you're not you know, like I think that's a, that, that seems like a, a common uh, Kobe mechanism, right? Yeah. Like, to, to, fill, to fill yourself with busy things. Yeah. To, to keep your mind off of it. Or like you said, to, to do something in memory of that person to kind of like feel like they're still there or have that yeah you keep their you keep their legacy going on and um a lot of times like when parents lose their their children and their fam you know their friends around them and even family in-laws and stuff they feel that they can't mention the child's name like if i don't talk about her it's not going to make them cry well we'd actually like you to talk about her we actually like to hear her name we like to hear your stories we like to uh reminisce and remember her you know, it's, I, again, like I said, I, I talk to families now. I tell them, no, why don't you take a break? Uh, Tessa's family, I think they went on the road for like a month, like a vacation, just their family. And so when I heard that, I thought, man, that's the best thing you can do. There's no distractions. Right. There's nobody. You're basically off the grid, you know, and, and you can kind of just, that's your moment to, to handle it as a family. It took my son two years to go to bereavement counseling. When we realized that he was dealing with, was it dealing with, with anger, it, right. yeah, he couldn't like let his emotions out, and it's again. But his situation was because he he has ADHD, OCD. Um, I think everybody has OCD. I, I think like right now, if I move something on this this beautiful table, that you would just immediately. I'll tell you what. Back. Right now, your microphone's bothering me. Why? Because it looks a little too high up out of the hold out of the. The, sh- the shock mount so I, I, I would like like this whole time i've been staring at it just like once he's gone i'm gonna fix that that's, <laughs> that's what i no, said because there's, there's certain things that like trigger everyone for sure yeah and so he was in a class that basically <laughs> that's funny because you bring that up to somebody and i'll be like yeah i do have ocd moments you yeah. know it's like i do it with websites i won't do it with my daughters because she's seen it you know, but other websites I help friends and stuff. Like, I, it takes me forever because I'll keep changing colors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And people walk by like, "That looks really good," and I'm like, "No, it needs it's a different shade of gold." Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, dude, just finish it already. Get yeah. over it. But uh, he, he was in a special class, and when kids, and I don't, and I don't get this. The kids that were in the class had emotional problems too. So when they cried, the teacher would immediately rush them out of the classroom and send them to the office. So the message you're sending to the other kids is, it's not okay to cry. Right. And so when he went back to school, uh, he had to keep his emotions It's almost like being ashamed. Yeah. Yeah, you're shamed into... That you you showed your vulnerability. And I think that's, unfortunately, I think that's a a lot of society. There's a lot of like, oh, you you know, be, be more in touch with your feelings, but still 
especially as kids, showing showing that moment of of not necessarily weakness, but that's how it's looked at, right? Yeah. And, and especially like when I grew up, and probably when you grew up too, it was even more so. I think it's a little more acceptable now, but. Yeah, that's that's uh oh look at you crying over there. You know, I could yeah. definitely see why you would want to try to hold that in. And, and you know, even at fifty years old, you you do that. Oh, you sure. went through the biggest tragedy of your life, and I'm in a store and I get a text that this uh, girl Tori had passed away from my my friend Bill, and it's his niece, and it floored me because I didn't even know that it, it had gotten that, that bad. That bad. That you know, it was at that point that she was there, and then, and then I, you know, I learned some other things that kind of uh, quickened what you know the, right. the end date. And as soon as I seen the text, I bolted for my wife. I went down an aisle, and I just lost it. And because uh, I, you know, I obviously I get attached to some of these families right. that we work with. Uh, a lot of us do, and you know, it, it's. You don't. I mean, the worst part of what I do is 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 when you have to go to somebody else. You have to go to a child a child's funeral. You know, because basically the first thing that happens is you see a resemblance of your daughter, like I did with Tori. Tori was right. about she was getting ready to go to college and become a nurse, and she wanted to help kids. And just for her to get leukemia a third time and never get to live out her hopes and dreams, and uh, I didn't know that I had made some you know, members of the family cry, but I had made a post on Facebook that was built with anger and sadness. And, uh, you know, basically saying that I was getting sick of this, you know, and then people will say, well, she's in a better place. No, the, the better place would be, you know, at home or wherever she needed to be surrounded by her loved ones, living out all her hopes and dreams. Of course. Yes. If you pass away, you believe in heaven, you go there. Um, I say it that way. Okay. I do. All right. And I don't get into religious conversations because they're like a pissing contest between two skunks. <laughs> there's no winner. There's no losers, but you both stink in the end. And I learned, Good way of looking from, at it. I learned that from Jim Cornette. He told me that because I asked him to do an, uh, an interview one time on a hotline. I don't know if you remember those days, the old phone hotline. Old phone hotlines. Yeah. Sure. But, um, you know, they used to have a uh, phone party lines. Oh yeah. The party lines. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to meet a girl on here. But we, <laughs> <laughs> but my son he you know he's now he's opened up with his emotions it didn't, it didn't even take him long in counseling like i came home yesterday from the funeral home to see tori and uh pay my respects and, and talk to the family and he could tell like it you know it was bothering me right and he just came up and he's like how how you doing are you okay are you gonna be okay and i'm like well i'm never gonna be okay with this i'm like i don't you know to do this you know i mean I don't think people understand. You take just me, just and, and this is nothing, and, and members of my board, you know, because everybody on my board was part of our president's son's life. And they were all impacted. They were all there. They were, you know, the police that got involved. They are now two of the officers, Officers Thomas, Officer Klein, they are, are going to become board members, which we have to turn in here really soon, our updated list. But all these people, you know, to be moved to have people come in from their day off from work as a police officer, to be part of that brigade that drives past the house in tribute of Noah, blasting the sirens, doing right. a speech. We, we get really engaged with these families. And, you know, but if you take if you think about it, we, even though we are one of the in the top 0.5 percent of the charities nationwide, basically meaning that we give 
away so much of what we earn that right. we've actually, like I said, I should be able to run for president. I suck at business. How do I give 103% <sighs> away? Can I count? Oh, yeah, I figured it out because we have change at our comedy shows, but right. we end up throwing it all in the same envelope, and it's like, yeah. so where's the 300 and change? Oh, the family's got it. And it's like, well, can't ask for that back. You know? right. so, yeah. But, um, you know, you, you think about it like, but we are still at the same time. We're small. We're, we're a very small charity. We, we, you know, limited in funds and what we can do. Right. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, myself and the board members, even more myself, because sometimes I work directly with families, seven kids since June have passed away. Wow. If you think, this is what, when you hear people say childhood cancer. And that's, cancer, just, that's just like the families that you've worked with. Yeah, that's, that's directly knowing them, being in direct contact via a gift mentoring whatever and your my august gift we sent to the girl and two weeks later she passed away and you're just left wondering like you know did she even enjoy it did she even right. get to do anything and then you're like no who really gives a shit you know if it helps the family out the, the bigger story is here she's gone that quick and you, you think, and then when people say it's rare, I'm saying, look at me, seven kids since June. You think it's that rare? Seven kids right. a day in the United States die from childhood cancer, but nobody gives a shit. I could walk into a room and say, hey, uh, you know, on my way here, there was a bus accident from an elementary school. On it was, you know, the, the it was 50 kids, 43, you know, 43 kids got injured. Uh, seven got, actually I got that wrong, it'd be 46. 46 got injured, seven died. Everybody be freaking out. Oh, my God, what a tragedy. All right, well, I just gave you the stats. 46 kids a day are diagnosed with childhood cancer in the United States. Seven kids a day die from it. Now, again, I, w I would love for any suit dummy in Washington to tell me that 4% is enough. Right. No, you have a problem here. It's the number one killer of kids, and something needs to be done about it. And uh, I'm glad that I have forums, like, you know, being on your podcast, and I appreciate you reaching out to me. And it's one of the things that I really want to like look into when we do interviews and stuff. Because a lot of times I get interviewed, it's about comedy shows, right? You know, and it's to me, it's like we don't get a chance to share our message. You know, like yeah. I end, uh, I do Amy's Angels, and at the end of it, it's like your story is so sad, and um, you know everything you do, you know, it's, it's great work, and you know, but at the end of the day, it's like really, Amy, because I just had this forum. And what I talked about was a comedy show. And, I, and, and the, you know, right. the, the part of the story that's going to be the catch to people is that my daughter and I started this and I'm carrying on her legacy. But there was really nothing to advance what I think is right. the real agenda, what is saving the lives. Is, right. and, I, and hopefully that, you know, we, we can raise more awareness. And the only way to do it is, you know, the, be a big mouth, be loud well, about it. And one of the, I mean, when I reached out to you, uh, what cam honeyager was one of the comedians on on one of your cards and he was actually here a, a couple weeks ago with another comedian to to talk about uh you know their careers and everything um but cancer is something that's like real close to my family actually in my mom's side of the family almost every one of my aunts and uncles my grandparents have all had some form of lower body cancer so wow. like to the point where there's some kind of test you can do to look for like the genetic genetic markers that normally you have to pay a bunch of money for, but because so many people in my family have had it, my aunt's a nurse, and she's like, we could actually get that testing done for free. Yeah. So, I mean, I joke about it, and, and comedy is, I think, a really good way to deal with stuff, right? And, I mean, 
a lot of the function is taking of comedy is taking those things that that hurt us or scare us or that we don't like talking about and finding a way to laugh at it that's why i love comedy and, and it it annoys me to a point with like the pc culture and like oh you can't make jokes about this but it's it's a way of dealing with it with cope uh, you know of coping with it and having a good moment right like you said your daughter is getting a cat scan and she's got a, a crazy plastic mask strapped to her face and, and in some kind of pain but she's laughing because of yeah, she just, laugh, she laughing just listened, during radiation, right. listening to a CD of, of a game. So, so for me, like that was more like, wow, this this is a, a a cool way to go at it, right? Like the the comedy and stuff, uh, and like you said, it's a more adult oriented shows that, but it's but that's how you do it, right? The kids, right, like you said, yeah. kids can't vote, kids aren't don't got jobs, they can't they can't help towards a cause. Yeah. I mean, they can speak about their stories and stuff like that and, and help out, but we we've only done one show where we we basically said you really need to be eighteen to come. I don't if you you're a parent, and you bring your thirteen year old to our show. It's happened. Um, I I don't think our shows are that dirty. I have a no c word rule. Okay. Um, but I'm never gonna like neuter a comic and right. say, well, you can't say the F word or you can't say, you can't swear. Um, cause ironically enough, I've been asked to do a show at university of Michigan for a fraternity that they have to do like community service. So I basically booked the show, but they have to do all the work to promote right. it, sell the tickets. And they did write me about content, you know, like, um, you know, Hey, since it's on campus, you know, can it not be dirty? And it's like, well, it can be, but that show's going to suck. Especially right. when the crowd's yeah. like 20-somethings, you know. Yeah. It's like, I didn't come here to see the Wiggles. Right. And what you were talking about is that was our goal. It was the laugh to keep from crying. I People know of Jim Gaffigan. He's yeah. a, he's a very, very a kids funny comedian. And I found out about Jim Gaffigan the third week we were in hospice. Uh, a male nurse at Beaumont was seeing me open up on Netflix three, four o'clock in the morning, couldn't sleep. You know, my wife had fallen asleep in a chair. We had an extra bed in the room and I'm just sitting on it. And I'm looking at Netflix and he goes, do you ever see that? And she points to Jim Gaffigan. I think it was Mr. Universe. And I watched it and I just couldn't stop laughing. Oh, I just yeah. saw that man, this man's hilarious. a genius. And then one time I was watching it and my son had walked by and he got lured in and he's sitting there and then all of a sudden jim gaffigan makes a cancer joke and my son turns and looks at me and i've had friends that have seen gaffigan i've been around him and he's made a cancer joke and they turn and look at me like for my reaction i'm like i might be speaking out of school here but i believe that his mom and grandma actually right. you know, lost their lives to cancer and then recently i think last year his wife had a brain tumor removed and he can go out there and, and make jokes about it. And if I had a comedian that came to me and said, look, I got this funny cancer joke. Are you okay with it? I'm not going to stop you from, right. you know, it's sometimes you have to laugh in the face of stuff because that's what kids do. I yep. mean, that, a lot of the kids that I meet, they're always giggling and laughing and they, they're, they're not worried about their battle. Again, they think of everybody else but their self. My daughter would, somebody would sneeze in front of her and she'd be like, are you okay? And then they'd freak out like, oh my God, she's got a brain tumor. And she'd ask me if I'm okay because I sneezed. I mean, that's just the kind of person she was. But yeah, the comedy is, uh, and the thing is when comedians work for us, it's crazy to see like, we'll get some pretty cool headliners like Dave Landau. Dave Landau is not only one of my favorite 
uh, comedians that we've had the pleasure of working with, he's also a tremendous human being. Dave Landau has gone over and above. We've, we've been able to work with him twice. And he even said the next time we have a show and we're booking him, he's coming, no charge. Uh, every comedian that works for us either uh, volunteers or they give us a tremendous discount. discount. On, and, and we take them on prime nights. I know we do. Right. We take them on Saturday nights. And I, you know, I feel, you know, in a way I feel bad about that. But realistically, that's your best night to draw. You know, because you do a comedy show 7.30 on a Friday. There's people getting out of work at that time. Right. But, uh, it, and then we, what's neat about it is, like you said, you had comedians on your podcast, is the way that they network. You know, you do oh, a yeah. show, like, um, I did, had a couple comedians on one of the last shows I did. Next thing I know from them, I have 10 comedians reaching out to me about getting on future shows. You know, like I talked to Lewis and he was at your show and he said he had a really good time and he felt really good because he was helping out a family and, we, you know, we want to be part of this. And I'm like, well, Lewis is awesome because he got the whole crowd doing an F cancer chant, which I thought was totally impossible because I kind of took a look out in the crowd and I'm like, ooh, a little bit of a different demo than normal tonight. Right. There's a lot of older people and, you know, older people kind of have sticks up their butts and, you know, oh my God, you said a dirty word. And he gets the whole building doing this F cancer chant. I'm like, I'm bringing that dude back. Cause, and, and, that, and again, right. we have like merchandise for comedy for cancer. And uh, we have a show coming up on November 2nd. I don't, I don't know if you mind me plugging it. No, that's fine. Um, it's uh, comedy number four cancer.com. To get the information, we'll be at the Hot Rock Sports Bar and Music Cafe in, uh, on Hoover and Warren. Um, we have six comedians on the show. And, you know, it's just. When you come out to these events, it's uh, you're you're doing something good for charity, but you just you have the time of your life, you know. And for me, I've made relation to the fact that I go and see these comedians perform somewhere else. Like I give back to that community. It's right. like I will buy a ticket to your show. When you're wrapped up working in your show at your show. You don't really get to see your show. Right. I kind of always listen, though. Like, okay, yeah, you are hear, they liking you hear, it? Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, or did, did we cross the line there? We, I don't think we've crossed that line yet. I did. Well, we did kind of because we had Mike Stanley on, and I love Mike Stanley. He's been with us a couple times. He actually did our 18 and older show, and it was called Dear Cancer F Off, and I'm cleaning it up. And uh, April 11th. April 11th is 17. <laughs> oh, okay. This is uncensored. Oh, <laughs> awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, I did say, uh, you said pussy earlier. Uh, yeah. so, well, the F word's your line. No, I. Uh, <laughs> so, well, that, you know, that's where I was going with it was our merchandise. And our right. merchandise basically has a theme. Like, we have a custom kid. We didn't steal Calvin. We actually have a copyrighted pissing on the word cancer. Uh, we have fuck cancer t-shirts and then we had a show called deer cancer fuck off and then April 11th we'll be doing deer cancer fuck off too and that is on the fifth the exact we will hit the stage the exact moment five years from when I lost my daughter that's how I cope with it I celebrate her life I don't mourn the passing and I get to go out there and see people wearing these t-shirts and it's awesome when you're in a store and you see somebody from a show wearing a dear cancer fuck off shirt a fuck cancer shirt or your wife's wearing it and somebody yells across the store awesome shirt right and it's like i wish and there's a charity out there that's actually called that it's well, and, well it's funny that you say that i uh I have a friend actually that came on the show too that has a clothing company and they they have a store in Ferndale, but they just released a fuck cancer hat with their like signature teddy bear that they 
oh, they use they? on their clothing, and they just released a hat. Do you over know, the week. Um, you need to hook me up with them because I have an idea yeah. for a shirt that I think. Do they make shirts? Is that yeah, what they do? Yeah, okay, they, they they do all their their clothing. Yeah. If you see on the logo the teddy bear, you said yep. they they use a teddy bear. Yeah. Yep. That's uh there there's a real cool story behind that that teddy bear. It's it's uh and I'll try to get get you a picture of it cuz it it freaks everybody out when they see it. And uh I, I didn't even know this was a thing back when we were in hospice, but like they'll do memory boxes and they'll okay. put stuff together and one of the things they do is they they'll capture the child's handprint. Oh, okay, I see it. Yeah. Yeah, when they released it, it was the, uh, I mean, like you said, a teddy bear. But they, oh, uh, okay. yeah, they did it for breast cancer awareness with the pink. Yep. That's nice. See, something like, like you wear that and that, that draws the eyes to it. I, I like stuff like that. The, the bear logo is they did, uh, for my wife and I, I think they only did two plates, but then they did like 10 on paper and they basically took my daughter's handprint. And they asked me what color plate I wanted, blue, so they knew exactly which plate was given to me. When the, the child life team at Royal Oak Beaumont got them done, they came in the room and they gave them to my wife. And I forgot who else was there, and they were kind of handing out some of the just the pictures on paper of the handprint. And then they had their name on it. And she waited the last to come to me. And she goes, this is strange, but I don't know if you, she's like, I don't know if you believe in messages. She goes, this one is yours. We know it's yours. Look closely at it and tell me what you see. I go, in the middle of her hand is a teddy bear. Really? She goes, now look at the rest of them. That image doesn't appear in the rest of them. And I have that on her memory shelf downstairs. And what, and it's, it's, it's crazy as it is. Because so then when I say that, people will be like, so your logo is, um, you know, because of that. Right. No. I had a company make that logo i didn't like the logos i was making a friend of mine knew a company that does stuff like that and the lady put that together in like a half hour and she sent it to me and she goes are you okay with the teddy bear with the ribbon and i told her a story she started crying she's like i don't i was moved to use a teddy bear in your logo i don't know why i did and i said i was i think it was a sign for us to work at beaumont because they give out these little these little teddy bears okay. and uh these uh, beaumont bears to all the kids there my daughter had a couple of them and it's just weird like you know it's like do you believe in messages and i'm like yeah i clearly do because we were sitting in a basement one night and we were arguing about a set list for a concert it was you know it's not an argument it's right. a disagreement you know if you're like oh he yells at his wife no i don't uh <laughs> and now he's still in gaffigan's alter ego voice uh no yeah. <laughs> we were we were having a discussion it was about, i don't know if it was the opening or the closing of the concert and i knew i was right and uh <laughs> she <laughs> yeah a lot, a lot of guys are sitting at home uh-huh. like yeah right you're saying it there you you don't have the balls to say it at home, you know. So I said, and so while while this is going on, the plate literally comes off the shelf and lands right in front of us, and breaks on the floor to the point that it could be put back together. You can see like you know thin cracks in right. it, 
But it was like instantly my wife's like, you're right. <laughs> That's a sign. She just threw the plate at me. And I go, I think it was to get us to stop arguing about something so stupid. Like we, we had, to, this was like a few months ago, how long we have been together. She keeps telling people 19 years. I'm like, no, we've been together 20 years. And I told my friend about this and, and like, he would know this and he goes, you're right. But is it really worth, worth like going yeah. over? Like, don't you have anything better to do? And I go, no, I need to win this <laughs> because now she's convinced her family that this is not true. You know, I said, I think it's because she's been so secretive because, like, she's trying to hide the fact that Stephanie technically was at her wedding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she didn't require a chair right. and tent. Uh, she was in a belly. All right, she was, my wife was pregnant. And uh, so we got married. But so I said to her, I said, okay, June, your birthday, you are going to be 41 years old. What happened at the bar on your 21st birthday, if there's anything you can remember? She <laughs> goes, after your wrestling show at the IMA, I was supposed to drive us all back to the hotel from after the after show party. And I said, you didn't? Why? She goes, because I got drunk. I thought the Long Island iced teas were iced teas. And I'm like, okay. And you realize that was your 21st birthday. She's like, yeah. And I go, you're going to be 41. We were already dating before that. I go, can you do math? Oh, God. <laughs> I was at your 21st birthday yeah. party as your boyfriend, and we had already been dating. And she's like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then she's like, I, and I go, I think it's because you're trying to hide the fact, but this is when they hear our daughter's age, how long you've been married. People, right. at least I don't know why people do that math. You know, it's like, because it's a funny thing. is because I have a friend of mine that's an officer, and he's very religious, and I won't mention his name's Pete. And uh, that he works in the city of Warren. And it's like, you know, he's, he's like super religious. And so somebody swears around him, which is funny because he's a police officer. It's like awkward for him. And he's one of those, like, he'll tell you his beliefs, you know. And it's like, you know, we, we didn't have premarital sex. And, right. You know, it's like, you know, you wait till you get married. And again, I don't argue religion. I understand somebody might be listening to this. and like, this guy's an ass. But, you know, I said, well, you know, I look at it differently. Pete, what kind of car do you have? You know, you know, when you got that car, did you road test it? Did you make right. sure it fit good? <laughs> it ran well? Right. And most importantly, made you happy? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I, I am a firm believer of you need to live with someone before you get yeah. married. And, yeah, I mean, being compatible sexually, sure, because that's that can be a huge part of your relationship and the connection that you have. But man, like it scares me so bad when people are like, "Oh, we're waiting to move in together and stuff." Look, I've I've deliver. I used to do deliveries for ten years. So did I. And I delivered to people that were like super professionals, and their houses smelled like cat piss, and there was stuff everywhere. <laughs> but but on the outside, looking at the person, you would have never guessed that's how they lived. No. And. That you don't get, you don't get a sense of someone who who someone really is until you see how they live. Exactly, and and that's that's a key thing. And like if you don't know that, because it's easy, like hey, you're gonna come over tonight to clean up everything, right? Like it's easy to do that part. It's like the unexpected drop by where you might get the real glimpse. You just you just you just created a whole new podcast, like to come back and like fix relationships, <laughs> like. 
<laughs> you you just nailed it. Like, because when you date someone, right, it's the best part of you. It's, oh, yeah. It's, you're, you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're putting your best effort forward. Yeah, for sure. you're, you're going to either be wearing your church clothes or court clothes, yeah. basically your best right. clothes. Yeah. And you're going to show her like, hey, I actually shaved today and yeah. I took a shower and uh, look, I smell nice. I right. just didn't spray Axe on me. Because yep. I've had somebody ask me that before. Like, I hate the way Axe smells. And I'm like, I wear it. And I go, but you yeah. smell nice. I go, oh, I shower too. Right. You know, that's the key to make yeah, every time you see your girlfriend, she's, you know, dressed all nice and right. everything. Got the makeup right. done. You don't get to see that morning. No makeup. No makeup. Hair makeup sweats. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> sweats. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's when you get into you know? double digits in your marriage. You yeah. just basically, you've mailed, you, you're mailing it in. No more makeup. But the minute you're going out, it's like back to dating. Oh, look, again. since I started doing the, the video for the, this third season, uh, it's uh i've had to start being like oh i gotta actually put like decent clothes on because before i'd be like just in shorts and a shirt actually it's funny yesterday uh jc drop shot he's uh he does uh fishing videos on st Clair, lake st Clair, and uh he's a he's a, a rep for lure companies and stuff he goes and does sales all over michigan it's really cool yeah. he, he built this whole like camper thing out of the back of his truck because oh, cool. it's cheaper than going to hotels so he just goes and stays at campgrounds most nights and uh he posted a picture just the other day from when we did the podcast and you see like I'm in shorts, my bare like you see my feet and everything. I was like, what a great picture of my feet, you know. <laughs> so it's definitely something, you know, like you said, you're you're uh putting your best image forward and stuff. And, right. Yeah, <laughs> when sure. you're when you're dating you do that. When oh, you yeah. live together, you just basically you're done. Oh yeah. Like and, and then like you said, that is true. There are I used to do deliveries too. Yeah. And you would look at the house and you're like, oh my God, that's a mansion. I would I've love been to mansions have a house. that were trashed. Yeah. And they open the door and you're like, oh my God, it's a horror show. Yeah. My house might be a dumpster fire from the outside, but man on the inside we do the best to keep it clean. Right. <laughs> and and there's two levels of clean by the way when you're married north of 10 years okay there's the clean that you're used to and it's acceptable to both of you and then there's like the oh shit we have people coming, coming over, over kind of clean yeah. Yeah. yeah where you clean everything like oh i guess i'll clean the window ledge that i've never cleaned like oh my my girlfriend we've been together 11 years and she would be like i can't believe you have people come down in this basement i can't believe <laughs> like eventually we want to build rooms a room over there for yeah all the crafting stuff and then a room just for this so i can do a little more sound work uh and, and, you know, for you're, the time being, she's like, I can't believe people come down here. Oh you, your basement is the same as mine. Like, I people are like, aren't you ever going to put a drop ceiling in? And and then I just use this bullshit excuse. I'm like, I have really tall friends. Yeah. And they, like, bang yeah, their head I off the Yeah, I can't do a drop or, ceiling here. No, you're too tall oh, for yeah. it. You can't. You, no. And I, I, I actually like to look like, my basement is not finished except for, like, there's carpeting, yeah. you know, and we painted the wall. Yeah, we're going to eventually drywall. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's well, like all my plugs are up in light fixtures and crap. Like that's the only outlet that's near like being on a wall. I got another one over there and everything else and all these cords running from my ceilings. And it's funny ridiculous. because I had Bobby from rehab addict talk about like in our show last April, we were out at Sweetwater in Waterford, which we, I think we broke the record for attendance there. And, uh, we did so good that it got sold to a church. 
So I don't know if that ties into like, uh, <laughs> well, we can't top this. We'll turn it into a church. And uh, I thought it was funny because their service sucked. Like it was the whole board was like, we're not going back there. You know, that's our name on the building. And no matter how good the comedy show is, if you can't, it takes three hours for you to get a hamburger, you know, that's a right, problem. Yeah. And it's like at any minute you're waiting for John Taffer to bust through the door to rescue the place. And uh, <laughs> so I'm like, all right, we'll do it, you know, under the terms we can talk to the owner owner and so we reached out to the guy that was the promoter of it and i told him our details and he's like no nah, it's too late we got sold to a church and i go you probably have the staff for that <laughs> no or a staff that needs to go to church but we we went outside during the show and bobby says to me he's like listen i'm going on vacation soon call me uh monday you know i think mean, it was a friday night show he says, I will come over. I will measure your basement. We will drywall it. We will get it done. Now, dude, at that time, I was looking to just get an office. And I'm like, he's going to be so happy when he comes over here. And then I drank and totally forgot to call him. And it's like, and my friend's like, I'll come over and like, how come that TV guy hasn't done your basement yet? And it's like, because I haven't called him. Well, why haven't you called him? It was back in April. I go, I feel like an ass for not calling. It's almost like, again, it goes back to dating. When you don't make that phone call right away, you feel like it's too late. Like, he said call Monday. I didn't. So I have to run into him again and bring it up and then come up with some bullshit excuse and hope he's not listening to this and go, well, no, hopefully he is, Jason. I hope it takes off for you. And there's a lot of people listening, and he isn't. And, Bobby, actually, I was really busy. I'm at the age now that if I get drunk on Saturday, that's right folks i had a friday and saturday show i'm responsible i waited till saturday to get drunk it takes me two days <laughs> to, to recover yeah it's like <laughs> i had a friend send me a picture last night he's just got this totally infected tooth and his face is just puffed out oh, on one gross. side and i'm like can i borrow that to send it to this reporter that i have to do this interview with over the phone tomorrow like i mean on monday I go, because I'm going to be hungover. Like, I'm having a party this afternoon, and I know it's just going to go off the rails. Probably because I bought a lot of Fireball. <laughs> yeah. You should definitely come to the Jeez. April 11th show. We get to run the bar, and we should not really? run a bar. Yeah, we do like $3 beers, dollar Fireball. And it literally, we had a chick leave the last show that we did there. Uh, from last season and our seasons run from september to april and we okay. take the summer off because we live in michigan right. and nobody wants to so be you, indoors yeah. you know you get 28 days of nice weather and you want to enjoy it and so we, we we're watching this girl leaving and i'm like oh my god we, we literally have to like walk like we're secret service on each side of her and we're like bumper pads for her like if you ever played bumper pool so she, she could bounce, bounce off, of it off and the wall and then i turn around and one of my board members like we have to rethink the dollar fire ball oh yeah I'm like i don't think so i'm like she's having fun <laughs> she won't in the morning <laughs> i oh, mean man. or she eats something on the way home <laughs> right oh yeah. it's three o'clock i have one bad decision left here i come denny's you know it's like <laughs> again i stole that from gaff again it's like, <laughs> like he's got good stuff yeah he does have and good i stuff. love how he does the 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 uh, audience view like oh my god did he just yeah. say that it's so you, weird you know what i think that is because uh, uh, I, was, I was talking to a friend of mine about this and he kind of thinks this too his wife writes with him yeah. and we almost think that that voice is his wife his like wife. you know like you shouldn't have done that you know like she's distancing herself from the joke because she gets credits <laughs> in every episode written by jim and Jeannie gaffigan and she's i think that's like his voice like she wasn't happy about this one i'll use this voice you know <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, everyone's. I do that. I got a, a voice for my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, my my friends at work, they're like, we're gonna tell her what you make you you say she sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's funny because I used to do a lot of voice impersonation, and uh, a local wrestler, Jamie Cox, he he's got this distinctive voice. He's like, he talks like this. He's oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, fire up. And it's funny because, like, when we get together and you reach that point that you know you're buzzed, I will start talking to him like, like him, him, and he doesn't pick up on it. He's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, hey, JDZ, you know, want another beer? I'm like, yeah, give me one, bro. Fire up. <laughs> and the last time we drank together, he got really trashed, and I had to actually be that hero that holds his head up while he's getting sick. And my son's sitting there looking at me like I'm a rock star. And then I help him out to the car with his fiance at the time. They're now married. And um, my son turns to me and he goes, wait, you guys drank the same amount. But look at him. He passed out. Then he got sick. You helped him out. Oh, I know someone that won two beers in. Yeah. He's not drunk, but his speech is the first thing that goes. Yeah. Automatically. One to two beers, and he's slurring. Come on, guys. You guys just do this. And it's like, dude, how does that happen? Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, he's not like an alcoholic, but he drinks decently, and, 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 and it's just Michigan, like two, two in, and he's slurring. It's that, funny. That's shocking because I recently found out on Facebook, which is a great place to get all your news, folks. No, it's not. But this one was a, a study, and I guess we are the second state with the highest tolerance for beer. Like, we can drink the most beer. I think it has anything to do with, like, the, the craft beer movement and stuff. There's a lot of craft beers that come out of Michigan. I was thinking that or the Lions, you know, from along <laughs> that line. Like, it's the only way you can... drinking away the Lions? Yeah, you know, after three... You know, when it was 2-0-1, it's like, you know, uh, you lose all your preseason games, that means you win the Super Bowl. Yeah. It's like, no, it don't. It means yeah. you suck. And then now, all of a sudden, there's no more talk about undefeated or Super Bowl. It's like, you know, now it's like, we'll get them next year. Now it's time to work on getting number one. Because I put, when I seen it on Facebook, I shared it. And I'm like, look, guys, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing a lot of heavy lifting to get us to number two. But you guys are going to have to chip in. <laughs> so I am shocked, too, when I see people that have a couple of drinks and they're, like, just whammed out of their mind. And it happens quite a bit at comedy shows where oh, I yeah. – I think that's why Mark Ridley's is such a huge success. I believe Mark Ridley's could be a gold mine, like just like letting you in for free. Because everybody seems to want to drink at a comedy show. And then there's the people that yeah. shouldn't drink. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because like a comedian will be like sincerely worried about somebody in the crowd because they're basically like a zombie now. And it's like, then you find out the, like, they had two shots of fireball. They're like, yeah, that's what they had. And it's like, oh, they should probably never drink again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, I know a few people that are coming over to my house in, uh, this afternoon and I get fireball. I get the gallon jug cause I'm not an idiot. Yeah, I, don't I got a couple friends that love fireball. Speaking of that, that's an hour and a half. Really? So I know you have to get going. That's a, awesome. Yeah, that was an hour. It flies by. Yeah. Uh, it really does. We got to do this again. Like, for we should do sure. a whole comedy angle. For sure. I am, uh, what, go ahead and plug your, your websites, everything. Uh, com, and comedy, the number four, cancer.com. And November 2nd, we'll be at Hot Rock, 
uh, sports bar in Warren. Uh, same thing on January 25th with a 30-person comedy rumble. We'll have 30 comedians. And then April 11th will be at Sterling Heights at the UAW 228 Hall, 17 and Mound for Deer Cancer F Off 2. And we got a fundraiser next week at Ashby's on Van Dyke and Utica. It's okay. a trunk or treat. Bring out the family. Bring out the kids. Get some candy. Buy some ice cream. It all goes to a great cause. Awesome. Excellent. Well, JD, I appreciate you coming over and sharing your story. It's really what I try to get, you know. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, no no problem. And uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for opening up. That was was real moving. I know that's tough to go through and to to talk about. And like you said, usually you're talking about the the events that you're putting on and not really the backstory as much. So I appreciate you sharing that. And the fact that we saved some relationships. (laughs) We accomplished a lot today. right? (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening to The Get Up. Thanks for listening to The Get Up. Make sure to check out thegetupshow.com for more information on this episode's guests. While you're there, check out other episodes, leave a comment, or if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, shoot an email to contact at thegetupshow.com. Don't forget to follow, like, and share on Facebook at The Get Up Show Podcast. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at The Get Up Show and subscribe to The Get Up YouTube channel. The Get Up is available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, YouTube, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts.